most bodacious podcast. I am Scott Andrew Weatherly, and as ever, I'm joined by Julian Darius Esquire. How are you doing, Julian? I'm most excellent. Party on, dudes. Party on. Excellent. Right, I'm actually going to get I'm going to say, if you can guess what we're talking about, you've probably seen, because we'll be on the headings of... We are going to be talking about... Um, uh, we're going to be talking about a serious film, uh, Schindler's List. No, we're going to be talking... <laughs> We're talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure today. Um, a film that sort of... Uh, I, I had to think, when did I first see this? And I can't. I think this film has just been a part of like my pop culture knowledge since I was little. So I, I, I really struggled to think of when I first saw this. But um, seems seems sort of like quite apt we're talking about this now because obviously the latest film, the sort of the 30 years later, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music is... Uh, is recently released in the in the states and is releasing this week in the UK. I haven't seen it yet, but I fully intend to see it. Um, not sure it'll be in the cinema, but I'll be seeing it on VOD when I get the chance. Um, good man. Yes, I'm, re- I'm and I can't wait because I think the trailer for it looks ace. It looks really good fun. Um, but yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, 1988, uh, directed by Stephen Herrick, written by uh, Chris Masterton or Matheson and Ed Solomon. Starring uh, Keanu Reeves, Alec Winters, and George Carlin. I could name the actors of all the historical figures. It doesn't seem <laughs> worth it. Um, so the story is really sort of two um, heavy metal sort of uh, dro- dropouts uh, are about to fail history. If they fail history, they won't graduate. If they don't graduate, they're going to be separated, and one of them's going to go to Oates Military Academy. Uh, which weirdly is going to have a massive impact on the future because 700 years into the future, the music of Bill and Ted is the basis for society and how people should all be excellent to one another. Uh, So Rufus is sent from the future to the past to help the Bill and Ted pass their history presentation. Uh, And so the boys go through history collecting historical figures and make a most bodacious presentation at the end. Um, so, Julian, where, what are your thoughts on Bill and Ted from the offset, and where did you come across it first? Well, I, I, I've got a lot of sort of like intro thoughts here, and hopefully mm. we'll jump back and forth. But I first came across it because I saw it in theaters when it first came out. Um, and I was, you know, like 12 or something. And, uh, you know, I it took me a little while to warm up to it. Um you know, one thing that people forget is that, you know, this movie sort of sat on the shelf. Mm. Uh, they did not want to release it. And one of the effects of that is that all the slang in it was a little old by the time it came out. So I felt like an outsider or, you know, I just thought like, oh, you know, this is all slang that I had heard, but that seemed a little out of date. And I just went along with it. I thought, oh, I must be wrong. 
Um, and but you know, it I warmed up to it, um, and you know, sort of loved it by the end. And I think that as a kid, it was such a sort of like insider outsider movie. Like mm. the fact that my parents didn't get it, they did not get this playing, <laughs> they did not get this movie, it was at all. And, and it was such a sort of like just kind of fuck you to the establishment uh, sort of movie that, um, you know, it really resonated with me on that level. Uh, as an adult, I've come back to it over and over and am always impressed with it. And I love this movie. Mm. Uh, so, so what was your introduction, Scott? Again, I'll say it's one of those that like, I, I don't remember seeing the cinema. Um, it was just... I remember this from just being about, and I'm pretty sure it's a VHS watch first. Um, but I also remember it being one of those sort of Saturday afternoon shows on like the BBC or whoever sort of like would show this, and it, you know, it'd be one of the ones you'd check out. Um, but I know that I'd seen it before 1990, I think it was when Bogus Journey was released, because I went to see Bogus Journey at cinema, and that's. I mean, the Bogus Journey was one of the first CDs I bought with my own money, the soundtrack to that film. So I knew who Bill and Ted was. And again, it's one of those ones where I think I have a, a closer relationship to the sequel than to the first film. But when I go back and I watch this, like yourself, like there's so many things in this film that like I hadn't picked up before. That as you get older, you notice like, just little jokes. I'm, I'm pretty sure would have just come about on set. And and we'll pick up on a couple. Whether it's just so it's just so well done, and Alex Winter and and Keanu Reeves have got such good chemistry um, as as a as a pair as a duo. You know, like they they work on that same level as sort of like Cheech and Chong or um, Wayne and Garth. You know, they're sort of like they just they just work as a duo, and so um, yeah, it's such a good film. It's it's really good fun. It is and. They, we'll definitely get into sort of some of the, the uh, incongruities around time travel in this film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but uh, uh, the one thing again, that sort of struck me more having watched it the last couple of times, like you get so involved with the venture, the adventure, you know, sort of like in the fun of it and some of the jokes, but this time I was like, actually the, the base message of this film mm-hmm. is just a really positive one of like, just be excellent to each other. Like that's all it takes. Like, stop being horrible. Just be excellent to each other, and um, it's it's um, George Carlin gives the the intro to this film, which is basically sort of saying like, yeah, the, your your world's a bit of a mess right now, but don't worry. Like, you know, the, all this stuff is gonna like you know, were saying this a little bit just off air, but like all this is gonna work out, and. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, California in 700 years in the future is ace. Like, you know, <laughs> um, here's all the things that are great about it. And it's it's interesting to sort of, for, for a film to have that positive message, really, especially around heavy metal music or around sort of rock music. Yeah, I really love that positive message. And, and we'll come back to it. I mean, I think there are a few sequences that really drove that home and, um, you know, just really sell this movie. Mm. Um I'm always amazed watching this. I think scene for scene, moment for moment, it's about an hour and a half. Uh, everything works. Mm. Everything is, you know, it, it just has that movie magic where, you know, it, it's edited well, the music is good, the performances are good, and everything just works. 
And, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, for, here we are where we analyze movies, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we have no idea, you know, like if we sat down to make a movie, it's a totally different thing. Mm. And some movies just work. But I'm constantly amazed by how nothing in this movie should work. Mm. This is absolutely a movie that should be horrible, <laughs> right? I mean, first of all, uh, they are idiot buffoons, right? I mean, that's part of my initial resistance to it, mm. right? We've we've seen lots of movies of kind of like two bumbling, uh, stupid guy. You know, I mean, you mentioned Wayne's World. I think this works better. But, you know, lots of movies are sort of, you know, a buddy movie where they're both dumb, right? Um but they're both dumb, absolutely mind-bogglingly stupid. I mean, like, you know, they're saying to their, you know, history teacher, you know, Joan of Arc is probably Noah's wife, you know, and that's a, it's a funny joke, but it's, it's like, you know, come on, man, how, you know, there's a kind of like love of American stupidity in this that I should not be able to get past. Um so there's something I want to sort of in, just intercede on that point because you say about them both being stupid and, and they're sort of like you know buffoons. <clears throat> something I really picked up on in this viewing, Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves' character, um, I can't remember which one's Bill or Ted, but for some reason, mm -hmm. but is is definitely stupid because throughout it, like um, Alex Winter's character, and I'm going to have to check now. Alex Winter's character um, is Bill. Is Bill. Yeah. Keep coming up with little gems. Like there's a moment when um two that I can think of is in fact three I can think of is um when when they sort of they're they're cramming for revision and they're talking about George Washington or something and mm -hmm. um you know Ted says about he's, he's got uh you know uh, wooden teeth and he's sort of obsessed with a whale and, and Bill stops him and says, No, dude, that, that's Moby Dick. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know who Moby Dick is. And then later on, when when they do again, they do Ted's uh, Freud does Ted's uh, um, psychoanalysis, and uh, he says, you know, Bill, do you want to go next? He says, oh no, no, I've just got a slight Oedipal complex, um, <laughs> which is a great joke considering Missy. Again, like, oh, he has an understanding of Freudian psychology, so it's like there's a part of it's like he's not as thick as I think he's pretending to be at times. Right. I think you're right. The only caveat I'd give is that that whole like performance at the end, mm. they seem to have spent a lot of time off yeah. and learning facts about these guys. Yeah. So for me, like the edible complex thing, like it's sort of thrown into that, like all of a sudden they're, they're pretty intelligent. Mm. Um, but you're right that, I mean, early on there are, uh, you know, is it, uh, is it Ted who says uh, um, the Joan of Arc joke? Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. There is a, a sort of difference there. Um, but you know, I mean, they, they are dumb and yeah. you know, uh, they're really dumb and they also, they're into heavy metal music, which is not exactly my scene. I mean, I like some hard rock, but they are into a lot of this stuff. They both want to be, uh, in a band but they never have bothered to practice. They're too dumb to use a camcorder properly. Yeah. You know, they go through this funny catch 22 bit about like, we need a video to get Eddie Van Halen to join our band to see how awesome we are, but we can't make a video until, you know, we have a band and we have some money and, but we don't have, you know, I mean, just the utter, and there's a line at the end, like, you know, maybe we should learn how to play guitar. Uh, that's very funny, but, uh, you know, they, I mean, 
they just are losers. I mean, they mm. just are Beavis and Butthead. Uh, and I should not like them. I should not like them. And yet they are so likable. It is so crystal clear that they're good guys at heart, you know, uh, even more than like Jay and Silent Bob, you know, mm. um, they just clearly are just good guys at heart and you fall in love with them. Yeah, I think you're right. Cause that's the thing that they are, they're almost like innocents, aren't they? Like there's, they're not, you know, malicious, they're not vindictive. It's, it's all done out of like a naivety, really, of, of what the real world is, which is sort of like where I think their good, like I say, it's their innocence, their goodness comes from. Like, you know, the future is based on their sort of thing of be excellent to each other. And they are sort of free of, of any malice or bigotry or whatever, because it just doesn't cross their mind. They're like, you know, <laughs> they're not interested in it. All they want to do is like play guitars or, well, they want to mess around with guitars and, and have a band. Like that's all they care about. Um, and that's kind of nice because, you know, that's, they're like, well, I'm not bothered by all this other stuff. I'm not going to, but it's a really simple, positive message. <clears throat> but I also like the fact that I said, when they do meet the historical figures, like, you know, that that naivety, that that sort of innocence comes across because like mm-hmm. they are genuinely impressed with these people, even some that are like hore- you know are genuinely heinous, you know horrendous people. Like Genghis Khan's not someone you'd want to mess around. <laughs> you no, know, Napoleon, you know he he conquered most of Europe for a reason. Like you know they weren't you know um, hugely likable people, um, and that's something. As I said, that's some, uh, one of the things that's in this film that is the 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 Hollywoodization of the historical figures is interesting. Yeah, um, there's a they sort of take the piss out of Napoleon more than yeah. than anyone, which I think is is, is fun and works, you know. Um, and you know the Genghis Khan bits are really funny, but uh, there's a there's a robot chicken uh, sketch, which is uh, the the end of Bill and Ted, where they're giving the presentation and they go like, and here's the most bodacious dude, Genghis Khan, and the audience is like, he's a rapist. He yeah. murdered six million people. <laughs> you know, like seventy percent of, of people in the area are still related to him because of all the rape. <laughs> like, you know, what you know. The movie definitely sort of Hollywoodizes this stuff. But, I mean, this is another thing that just... Okay, so beyond the fact that this is the glorification of two douchebags, right? Mm. You know, that, like, the entire future is based on these losers who can't... Who want a garage band, you know? That's their greatest aspiration in life. You know, and it's totally absurd. But then the script is like, okay, you know, this is so dumb. You know, if you if you read the script, if you were handed that script, I'm convinced you just say like, oh, man, you know, now he fell out of the suit of armor. Now, you know, like Lincoln, they just grab him and they just grab people and throw them in. Oh, they're in the White House. They just kidnap. They're kidnapping people through history. You know, there's so many just kind of dumb decisions here. But, you know, I mean, that's the difference between a movie that just comes off as a fun romp. And mm. knows it's making dumb decisions. It has to have that magic where you feel that sense of fun, and you know it's not taking itself seriously. But just not taking yourself seriously isn't enough. We've both seen a million movies that don't take themselves seriously and are still miserable to watch. Mm. This is just a joy to watch, and I don't—I never, for the life of me, can figure out how this movie works. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because I say because you're right. It, it shouldn't, you know. And there was so much wrong with it. Like the fact that you know, <laughs> if you were like I say, and we will get into the sort of like the the causal ramifications of some of the things they do. Um, it's it's just like you say, it, uh, they're not even the stakes of this film, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> seem incredibly low. I mean, you say like mm-hmm. they're trying to save the future, but then you're like, well, if they get separated for a summer or whatever, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, if he goes to Oates Military Academy for a summer, like, it's not going to ruin everything, surely. Um, and so they sort of they give it, yeah, they, they sort of insert this sort of thing of like they're saving the future. But then it comes to that sort of like sticky wicket of like, well, if the future already exists, then it's already been fine. Right. So I'm not going to worry about it. So again, the stakes, you've seen the future. They visit the future, which actually is a really cool scene. But yes, they, you know, well, if, they, if they can visit the future, then this is all going to work out. I'm not going to worry about it a great deal then. So <laughs> the stakes are really low. So I don't know why I care, but I do. Like you say, I get invested in these characters because they're just, the way it's done is really good fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can imagine somebody describing this movie like, okay, we want you to invest in this movie. <laughs> uh, you know, it's about these two douchebags that want to make a band that the entire future is based on, you know, wild stallions, you know, and to save that utopia, it's like, you know, glaring klaxon problem. Mm. First of all, do I want to live in a future that's based on the wild stallions? <laughs> you know, I, and then, you know, you go through and it's like some of this dialogue where, you know, you know, you have the scene with Socrates, which plays out fine on screen, but where they're quoting lyrics to him and <laughs> Socrates says on his own, says, like sands through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. And I mean, you'd see that on the page and you just groan. You yeah. just say, oh, this is terrible writing. This cannot work. And yet it works and it comes off on screen yeah. and somehow, you know, you totally go with it. It, it, well, it's, it's, it, the thing is, it, like, it happens like over and over again. Those things, because basically, what you're saying is, um, I haven't seen it for a while, but you, think, you know, like Fast Times of Ridgemont High. You're going right. You've got two of Jeff Spicoli. You've got two of him kicking about in a time machine, kidnapping people from history. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't believe an exec's gone. Yep, I'm down with that. That sounds <laughs> that sounds like the thing the kids want. Um. It's you know it's like you say it's whatever the pitch was they gave for this they they sold it well, right? And for what? So they can get an A on their history report, right? Because yeah. that's really what the stakes are. It's not really to save this vague future, right? Where you see one room basically, you know, yeah. of people who strum guitar and have hologra- hologrammatic <laughs> images of Bill and Ted strumming guitar. Like that's a that's this religious sort of uh, uh, thing that they do. I mean, that's cool and it's clever enough, but yeah, the stakes are a couple of douchebags want to get an A on their history report because they've screwed up so much up until this point. Yeah. You know, none of this should work. This is all horrible. And yet it's a joy. Well, I yeah, can't oh, figure it out. It is. I mean, one thing I will say is they can't play guitars. They're not particularly good at music. If they set everything up at the end, they should be looking at careers in stage management because that show that they put mm-hmm. on at the end is ace. <laughs> I've always felt that way. Even as a kid, I was like, how did you convince these these light guys? You know, like you're running late. You were coming in with like 10 historical figures and you're like, hold on. We got to talk to the lighting crew. (laughs) And that's what I'm like, because it's really good. And they do it in the second. The similar thing happens in the second film. I'm like, 
Yeah, the, these guys should be running a stage production crew because that's <laughs> these they're brilliant at that. Um, I, I don't. I honestly think it's the innocence. I guess hmm. the only thing I can think of in this film is that although the stakes are low, it is you know like you said they should just be considered douchebags because they're losers. They they've got no you know they're, they're um, they're not cool in any particular way, are they? It's not like you know they're fun, but they're not like um, Rufus. Look, George Carlin in this film is you know because I quite like George Carlin. I like his stand up. I think he's great in some of the things he's done. He is quite cool in this. Like Rufus is a cool character. Like you know he's collected. He's very you know he, he is just really cool. Bill and Ted aren't. You know they're just sort of like yeah. they're like they're like puppies, aren't they? Sort of like they just a <laughs> level of excitement is just up here constantly, and um, that sort of like it's just the joy that you feel as a viewer is almost um, vicarious joy through them, isn't it? I mean, you you mentioned the whole thing with the the suit of armor when when uh, um, Ted falls out of it, um, which again is a ridiculous coincidence, but. When they find the suits of armor, and then they do the whole um, "Luke, I am Star your father," yeah. yeah, yeah, and then find <laughs> the swords, and they're like, "Dude, we're total sword fighters," and sort of. It's like just the joy of them, sort of like prattling around with the swords, and so like I'm thinking, yeah, do you know what? I I it, I probably would do some if I was their age, I probably would have done something similar. <laughs> I'm, well, I, I mean, that. that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like you know, th- imagine. I mean, um, how do you imagine going through the script and, you know, it's just like there's a page of just Bill and Ted goofing on Star Wars, you know, which nowadays, you know, we have that stuff on like Family Guy and shows like that. This is, you know, 89. Mm. You know, I mean, you've got a page of them. goofing, And meanwhile, Freud, Beethoven, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, Lincoln. (laughs) They're all, all five of those characters are like abducted within about the span of like maybe four minutes. It's a montage. It's a great right. Yeah. And and it's funny, but still it's like, you know, oh, really? You're you're more interested in Bill and Ted goofing on Star Wars and they can't even keep the character straight while they're like, you know, yay, I'm in a suit of armor. Let's fight. While they're supposed to be undercover. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you give that? that time and you don't give time to other things and yet you're right they're innocent you totally enjoy it yeah and i think the thing is as well even there's there's one of the things i find with this film is joy this film is about enjoyment it's about fine this film's about a passion and that's the one thing is like yeah history is history and they actually make a really good point at the end of it that like, they do learn something from the, meeting these people and that's the thing like they learn from the past, like they've actually had a lesson. They've been educated by the end of it. But when you actually meet all the characters, um, you know, and granted, as we say, sort of like Genghis Khan, probably not someone you want to leave running around a shopping mall. Um, uh, and, you know, those sorts of things. But what I, I love about this film is the joy that every character seems to find. I mean, granted, like, we talk about Genghis Khan. Billy the Kid was no... Uh, there's a reason he was killed at the age of 21, right? You know, mm-hmm. let me tell you, like, he wasn't <laughs> a nice person to run. He was charismatic. He was probably a psychopath, is what we're saying. Um, these people, some of them, you know, they're not a group that should work. But I love the fact that, like, uh, Socrates and Billy the Kid become a bit of a duo. Like, you know, <laughs> they go out on the, the pool together to chat up some ladies. And... You know, then they get interrupted by Freud, and there's a great joke there that I've never ever noticed before until until this watching. 
when they, you know, when they, they try and chat up the two girls in the mall at the end, uh, oh, yeah, it, right. in the, the mall montage, and Freud, he's got a, um, what do you call him, like a hot dog and a stick in, in batter, like a, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but he's got sort of like a something corn dog. Like, corn dog. It's got a corn dog, and as he's being rejected, it flops forward, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so well done. It's like, it's like, and again, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure someone's gone. That's get it, grab that. That's a great gag for on set, and it's yeah. I've never noticed it before. And I was watching this something. It just falls. And they get rejected and laughed at. Just this corn dog sort of falls forward. You like, it's it's just like Freud and that sexual innuendo. It's like perfect. It's perfect. It's so well thought out for these little moments. Um, and even like, you know, the, the, the silliness of like, I don't know when, I don't know when um, or how Beethoven became deaf yeah. because they almost play it like he is deaf when they kidnap him. Like they run up behind him because everyone else notices the uh, the phone booth arrive and then um, they kidnap him and drive him off. However, later on, he's able to play multiple electric keyboards which don't provide any vibration so we can't read them but again like the, the, that moment that he's introduced to the electric keyboard by the salesman and stuff and just mm. the joy of him playing and then he's playing multiple and it's awesome and i'm like this film's just full of joy it's awesome it's just such good fun no it, it certainly is i mean one of the things that you know we've talked before about sort of like movies and forms of art committing to themselves right mm. you know i mean as a writer you know, you hit ideas like this where you just think, oh, this is jumping the shark. Like, I cannot do this in a script, right? And then you have to continue forward into, like, horrifying, uncharted territory, yeah. right? But this movie is so committed to being itself. I mean, Genghis Khan in a football uniform and a baseball bat, riding a skateboard, yeah. doing flips, beating up, uh, you know, office uh, mall cops, you know. I mean, Napoleon on water slides. I mean, time, you know, Genghis, I mean, uh, Freud analyzing Ted as part mm. of the presentation. I mean, these are brilliant ideas, but they're zany, off-the-wall, risky ideas that, you know, every single one of them, you have to think as a creator, there's no way this is going to work, right? People yeah. are going to hate this. And yet it commits so fully to this. And that's the thing is like the, the, the commit, the fact is the commitment to it as well. Cause you're right. And that whole, cause the whole mall scene at the end is them just going like, you know what? We're going to go balls out. Everything's going to be crazy. Like Joan of Arc's going to knock off a, um, uh, an aerobics instructor off a stage and take like, that makes no sense to me. Like, yeah, there's a no. other things, but it's no. great. It's funny <laughs> to see. Um, and again, like you said, the others, uh, like the others, like see Beethoven playing and Genghis Khan, and but weirdly, like Napoleon is one of my favourite characters in this because he is just an obnoxious, like <laughs> he's, he's just such a prick throughout it. But like, and they play it for laughs. Like from the moment they kidnap him, and he's so sort of like entitled. And then they leave him with his his younger brother, um, uh, mm. Ted's younger brother, and they take him. And you have the whole Ziggy Piggy, and this is another thing. Like wow. you know, they, that on on script on the page, that must look ridiculous. But again, the way the guy, the guy who plays Napoleon, when he plays it, is is spot on. And again, like with a, I mean, I'm assuming he's French because he plays it with a flawless French accent. And um, not they, me. Oh, really? Because je parle français, n'est-ce pas? Donc, yeah, you, you, yes, you would know a lot better than me. <laughs> I, I failed French. Um, 
But I love the fact they bring the ice cream, and then when it gets to the end, and he's the, of all the, the kids are all like you know pristine, they've eaten nicely, and he's got like ice cream all over his face, and then he mm. you know it's like a sword, <laughs> like a sword fighting, he he obstructs somebody else's spoon, just <laughs> bits, and and um and then other things like when he's at the 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 um the, the water park Waterloo, which yeah. is a, which is fantastic, yeah. Uh, um, he the fact he gets at one point like he's t- he's picking children out of the way to get up the queue and out of the way to keep going down the slides and stuff like he never gets better as a person or anything like that but he's just fun to watch like it's just sort of again it's zany and makes no sense but it's committing to itself as a a real sort of like romp really yeah i mean then uh, don't forget napoleon sheets at bowling you know and yeah. and he does it in the dumbest way possible he yeah. just adds a one to his score so he said like a 148 instead of 48, you know. Uh, I mean, it's so petty. Uh, you know, petty, that's, and, the best, yeah, that's the best way to describe it, yeah. But I think, I, I think it's, it's brilliant. It does seem like that is accurate to me. Mm. Um, it, it does seem, uh, you know, sort of, I, I can't help but think like of, of Donald Trump and the sort of like petty <laughs> narcissism, you know, of like, I'm the best at bowling, you know, I want to win. Um <laughs> But then I also remember myself and my brother at water parks, and we totally push kids out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're in the queue, when everyone's running up those those steps, it's fair game. You know, when you right. stood still, that's a queue. <laughs> running to the yeah. queue, that's fair game. But even in the end, at the presentation, when they're doing it with, they're playing risk. Like he's given yeah. them a sort of a, a, like a, a military strategy. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. So he knocks it all <laughs> over with his sword and he's like, victory. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. He, Triumph, he, Napoleon. Yeah. Um, he's, it's just, I say, he's committing to that and the way they do it is 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 <laughs> glorious fun. Um, even the fact that, like you say, because from the, from the off, this film tells you um, it's going to be challenging you to sort of believe things. Because even before they've travelled through time, you know they're revising in their room, and you you find out that um, uh, Bill's dad is married to Missy, who has literally just left high school. I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be, probably like 19, 20. But the, both Bill and Ted asked her out to the prom at some point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I mean, I, I don't understand why Missy. I mean, there's a lot that I don't understand about like their life, right? Like the typical yeah. 80s. Uh, movies featuring two high school kids right has scenes in that high school we mm. see one classroom in which they they say you know stupid shit and then you know then that you see them outside the high school but you never see that social dynamic and then all this time is spent with you know this gag about uh you know missy and she says like you know they're like remember when uh she was a um you know, she was a senior and we were a freshman. And then Ted said, remember when I asked her to the prom? (laughs) These are funny jokes. But, you know, the same thing with, like, uh, Ted's father being a a cop. uh, Or, Bill, you know, where you say, uh, like, was I, when am I, was I aware of that? Did you adequately, like, establish this from, why do we spend this time with that and with with Missy? But it all works, right? I mean, you just forgive it all because it just works moment by moment. But again, like I said, I like the fact that not only does it work on a grand scale, like because it commits to the silliness of it, like say on a micro scale, that there's little moments that they that they keep working, like when when they're revising, 
the fact that like Missy says to him, "Oh, what what are you, what are you struggling with?" and she, she, they say whatever the teacher's name is, history class, and she's like, "Oh yeah, he's really tough." You know, like, yeah, she was there like less than a couple of years ago, and um, well, it's kind of crying. implied that she had sex with him. Uh, Later on, kind of... yeah, because at, yeah. at the presentation, she sits next to him. She's like, you know, she's like, "Hello," and it's the, just his reaction. You're just like, "There's something." M- Missy seems to have worked her way through graduation. Um, yeah. in a different way. This isn't the first older guy she's been with. And even in that earlier scene where she says, oh, you know, she she actually says like, oh, well, say hi to him. You know, th- and there's a kind of like little suggestion in the voice. But even so, in that first scene when they're sort of like, you know, they're told to, he gives, uh, um, uh, Bill's dad gives him the money to say like, you mm-hmm. know, go out, here's, a, here's like $20, go out. And it's clear that he's about to sleep with me, like Missy, and even call it out. And he's like, Ted's like, dude, he's he's about to like do her in your bed. And he's like, Yeah, Bill, like, <laughs> don't don't talk about it. Um and so like you say, it's yeah, it's asking you to sort of accept that. And like, look, if you accept this, carry on. I, I love the fact that it, it you know, to talk about the rest of the series, like it commits to that joke. Because in Boga's journey, she's divorced Bill's dad and married Ted's dad. Oh, I forgot that. And then in the new one, uh, I know this is no spoiler, it sort of starts and they're at the wedding and you've seen in the trailer that Bill and Ted have been a wedding band. They're being a, they're being a wedding band for Ted's younger brother. Uh, he's getting married <laughs> and he's marrying Missy. <laughs> so, it's clever. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't think you could quite get away with this today, you know. No. Um you know, people would focus on, you know, A, there, there's more sort of uh, discrimination against kind of age gap relationships these days that they're automatically abusive, which, you know, certainly there have been issues, but, you know, there's a kind of presumption now. Um, and then secondly, making a joke. She's not really a fully fledged character at all, but making a joke of like, basically, she's a slut, you know, yeah. is the joke, right? But, but it, it comes uh, back to this idea of, I know it sounds awful, but this idea of joy, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. an old guy who's she seemed happy, like you know, and she seems both not to be repulsed by him. It's not like one of those gags where it's sort of like younger woman's in it for the money, and she's a bit, she's a bit like, Ugh, you know, like a um, Hugh Hefner kind of deal. Yeah. Like she legitimately seems to be into his dad. So I'm like, that joy, that thing of happiness, seems to still be like going through. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, fine, like find your joy. Um, no, you're right, and these are such. I mean, these are such weird decisions, but they come off. Yeah. You know? I mean, even even the sort of like running gag of like, you know, Missy, I mean, mom, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, uh, you know, in, in real life, you know, where you have these kinds of situations, usually they don't insist on calling the older child, having the older child calling her mom, you know, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, it, it's a funny, it just works. I, I, I mean, and you're right to say it, these are innocent decisions, but I, I you know, as a writer, I just think like, yeah, there are implications there. I mean, how do you not hint at, I mean, there is sort of like, as the, as the father shuts the door, uh, you know, to have sex with Missy, Missy's kind of looking off to the side. She doesn't seem interested, but it doesn't seem fully predatory too. It doesn't seem like she's, she doesn't want to, she seems fully committed to being their mom. That's the thing. It's like at no point are they portrayed as being exceptionally wealthy or that she's in it for anything. You know, there's not this. Like you say, she's bringing them milk and cookies to help them revise. Like, like you're saying, she's in it in a wholesome way. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. At no, like, 
in a more in a more, and I don't I haven't seen the latest one, but if this was to have been this film was to have been made in the last 10 to 15 years, there would have been a more sinister, darker humor there that would have had these sort of notions in some way uh more obvious or you know that that sort of a bit more um sinister, you know, you know, a bit darker. And it just doesn't have that. It's just not there in this film, really. Um, and it, the same goes for when they meet the princesses. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it, it's not like... It, it never really comes across as lecherous or, you know, uh, ogling. It, it, again, it's a bit lustful, but it's almost like, again, like puppy love. Like they see them from a distance and it's, dude, they're beautiful. I'm in love. And they sort of they introduce themselves and they're trying to be like... Um, chivalrous and all this other stuff, and you know they're not bro- they're not broish, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, 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 right. And, yeah, and, I mean, the princesses have always bothered me. Um, you know, I, I think the princesses are kind of a weaker part of the film, but I mean, I like I like that there's a little bit of the room. I love the sort of like uh, lines at the beginning uh, in the at the special K, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like or Circle K, right? Not the drug. But, uh, you know, where uh, and say about the princesses, but, you know, yeah, the princesses kind of they abandoned them mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages. Right. After professing their love. And then they're just kind of like showed up at the end and they say, oh, they're going to join your band. And it works well enough. But at least there, I kind of do have a lingering thought like, oh, I mean, besides the question with all of these historical characters of like, are they portrayed in a remotely accurate way? Mm. I do sort of have the thought like, well, you were about to be, you know, sort of forcibly married, you know, in a sort of arranged marriage that very day, these, you know, douchebags from the future show up and, you know, sort of profess their love and then abandon you. And Rufus is like, nah, you know, screw history. You know, I guess you can't change history anyway. Right. But uh, in this movie, but we just, I just, you abandoned them. So I went back, you know, like the script had this problem. We fixed it in editing at the end, you yeah. know, just have them show up with Rufus at the end. Why not? And and join your band. Um, and it works well enough, but I mean, there is a sort of like, I think the way they are abandoned into an arranged marriage kind of, you know, bothers me just a little bit. Yeah. I think, mean, but it's not mean. No, no, it's not. It's not, nothing. This was ever really meant to mean. But you talk there about the time travel thing, um, about being able to change history. <laughs> and I, I I didn't study it to primer levels at this point, but <laughs> there, there's, there's some things like this. They try and have their cake and eat it a little bit with time travel in this film. Like people have said, I've heard things of going, people saying like, oh no, if, you know, if time travel was real, this is exactly how it would be. This is weirdly one of the most accurate depictions of time travel. I'm like, it can't be. Because even in the film, they 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 basically do two different versions of time travel yeah. in the same film. Um, at the at the um, it's still better than most. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, Rufus actually says, mm-hmm. and again, they need the ticking clock because it's got to create tension. It says you can travel through time to any point in history, but you've got to be back in time to make your presentation. And they're like, well, we've got a time machine. He's like, ah, oh, no, because the, the your time in, in San Dimas continues to flow. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that, no, how does that, no, how does that work? Yeah. And then, but then in order to sort of like to counter that, at the end of the film, during the, the jail heist, which I have to admit, I really do enjoy the whole 
again, prison, the bit with them in the police station. They actually say, well, we've got to remember, because if we go back and get uh, my dad's keys, we then let all the, we, you know, leave them here behind this bush, and then they'll be here. Oh, they're here. And then they, they do that repeatedly with the trash can that falls on um, te, uh, uh, Ted's dad and all this other stuff. And you think, okay, but you've just told me that time in San Dimas is running in normal. You haven't got to the the thing yet. So is it only your past? Of, so is, is it only your past events? You have to have lived through those events in order to travel through time and different. So how's Rufus doing that? Like it. It doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, so we've talked before about kind of like whether you take a time could be changed or a deterministic point of view. I think mostly this movie takes a deterministic point of view. And Mm -hmm. so causality isn't a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those sort of sorts of tricks uh, and causality isn't a problem in in a deterministic universe. But Rufus arrives and he's like, we've got to make sure this utopia stays intact. Well, I mean, I guess you could still say that, but it's kind of implied that something otherwise could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got to get back in time, you know, make sure you do this. The thing that bothers me the most is that dumb thing with, you know, time continues in San Dimas. And you're right. Not only do they do the sort of like uh, trash can thing and the keys and all of that, which is a wickedly funny, clever sequence mm. way ahead of its time. Uh, but also uh, the whole going forward to the uh, Circle K mm. to be the characters from the beginning. Well, that means time isn't running at the same yeah. speed. Cause you've you know, yeah, because you've literally gone to a different time in your own timeline. Right. You're just a few hours earlier. You clearly <laughs> can yeah. go... You know, I mean, it, that just makes no sense. It's just a convenience of the plot. But the, the thing is, they don't need it. You know, the, like the race to get there on time, you know, I mean, you don't really need it. If you just said, well, we've got to collect these historical figures, they're running amok, you know, you, you know, there's no like car chase, like, you know, ding, 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 mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller, you know, car chase to get there to the school on time. And as you said, like set up the lights and everything. Yeah. Uh, none of that is important. In fact, it would it would make better sense. All you have to change is like you need some line of dialogue to replace. Don't forget to wind your watch. By the way, how hilarious is it that we used to wind watches? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to, to then talk about causality and um, the the two things is is. The, let's say the hollowedization of, of the the characters that they take you know um there's there's two things i i really enjoy is um the guy who plays genghis khan um i'm gonna i am gonna give him a name shout i'm gonna find him because um he has appeared in pretty much everything um i'm probably gonna have is l al leong um yeah al leong there's a documentary at the moment available it's on it's on amazon prime um, I think it's available through other sources, and it's just called that henchman, and it's basically <laughs> it's, it's his career because that's what he was. Like you know, he was in Die Hard, he was in all kinds of films. So if you needed a martial artist henchman, like he, <laughs> Al, Al Young was the guy you went to. Um, and I love the fact he gets to sort of do some stuff, like some good stuff, cool stuff in this. Um, you know, uh, so he's really cool. Uh, but the other thing is, like I say, just. I, I quite enjoy the Americanization or the 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 um, 
Hollywoodization of, the, of these characters. Um, you know, this sort of romanticized version of like Billy the Kid, Abraham Lincoln, and um, uh, even like, you know, Socrates and so on. They're, they're sort of uh, bite size and like a McDonald's version of what the historical characters really were. Like, there's no complexity, you know what I mean? They're sort of like, mm-hmm. this is the most noble and, um, you know, uh, honorable version of Abraham Lincoln. Yes. Yeah. And non depressed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this isn't, this isn't sort of like your Steven Spielberg sort of Lincoln. This is uh, um hall of presidents, as they say. Well, same thing. Um, you know, Joan of Arc isn't a religious wackadoo, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, she died killing people because they weren't the right kind of Christian. You know, how the hell is she going to adapt to the mall? Uh, it's just like, I'll forget all of that, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like that there is. Like I said, you said, like, you know, are they depicted accurately? No, none of these guys are depicted accurately in the slightest. And, and they are right. the, they're like the McDonald's version of, um, of, of historical figures. Um, <laughs> but again, that goes to the sort of like the nature of the film. Um and but the thing as well is these historical figures clearly have been taken out of their history and are taken back. I mean, two of them, well, no, many of them actually, you are seen taken out of a populated room. So people yeah. have seen this happen and then they're like reinserted into history. And I know we're saying it's a deterministic, you know, future, so it doesn't really matter. But th- th- those events have no impact on history. <laughs> so great. So well, I especially think about Beethoven, <laughs> like that line about like. You know, he's a fan of slippery when wet, you know, like it's so charming. It's such a cool idea. And I and I love the idea as a kid of like merging classical because I came from an educated Mm. family, you know, merging love of classical stuff and love of great literature with love of popular music, love of comic Mm. books, you know, love of movies. But yeah, he's not going to go back and compose the same music, man. That's it. Like, <laughs> if, he's, if he's listened to Slippery When Wet, like, yeah, you're not getting those same things. And the same with Socrates. Like, if he's going to sort of, like, you know, talk about, um, you know, the, the meanings of life and, and philosophize and all these different things based on his experiences of living in ancient Greece. Well, yeah, but having gone to the mall and been rejected by two sort of, like, girls, surely that's going to start, you know, and he's hung around with Billy the Kid. You know, he's seen... He's yeah. seen weapons. He's seen future, like, and um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's just funny. Let's say again, you're not supposed to ask these questions. You're not supposed to sort of consider it, but making them then present uh, in front of a bunch of, we'll get onto the presentation at the end, actually. Because <laughs> um, I, 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 this film gave me a bit. This and many others gave me a warped sense of what American high school life was. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this idea of making them do this, give a presentation in in, a, in front of a, you know hundreds of people and then popping them back into history, I'm always a bit like, surely this should have had some sort of impact. Um, yeah, I wonder about that too. Uh, but I will say, like, you know, okay, first of all, it's a fun rock, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is we don't really make farces anymore. I mean, this is a real farce. Mm-hmm. This is a farcical universe, and you know, we've looked at. Uh, you know, like we, we talked about time bandits mm-hmm. in the past, you know, uh, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think this comes off in a way that when you try to make a farce, it's very hard to, to make it come off. 
but I think because of that farcical nature, it's it's easy to forgive this stuff, even if, you know, I, I can't help but kind of like, you know, think, you know, uh, yeah, they're too big for those suits of armor. You know, like the, the suits of armor are a solid foot, foot yeah. and a half too small for them in real life. I mean, weird stuff like that. You know, what about the diseases? You know, stuff like that. But I, I will say in its defense, I found myself thinking like, yeah, you know, history was dumb. Mm. Uh, and, and I certainly think people need to study history. I'm appalled by the, you know, uh, American exceptionalism kind of school of, you know, screw history and history doesn't matter uh, and denialism. But history was dumb and people did a lot of dumb mm-hmm. things, uh, a lot of things for really dumb reasons. I love I love that depiction of Napoleon. You know, I mean, was Socrates really the wisest man who ever yeah. lived? I mean, he had no germ theory of disease, mm. you know. I mean, the average grade school kid knows more about life and more about facts than anyone did who lived until, you know, certainly the smartest, most informed man in 1800 knew less than a six-year-old mm. today. Um, so, I mean, you know, and and Napoleon and, you know, Billy the Kid, I mean, were these upstanding characters so much of history is based on accidents, you know, and I don't mean to be all like drunk history, you know, like stupid history kind of thing. But a lot of history, you know, I think it's important to recognize like, you know, Lincoln might have been a well-considered and, and a great man. But, you know, I bet that if I met Lincoln, there'd be a lot of just kind of like dumb human stuff, yeah. too, that... <laughs> You know, this this is not a wise and sage. No, and that's and that's it. I mean, like you say, this isn't supposed to be a biopic. This isn't sort of Daniel Day Lewis playing Lincoln, or um, or even Emilio Estevez playing Billy the Kid. Like, you know, <laughs> Young Guns is, 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 is you know is obviously a more accurate version of Billy the Kid than this is, and that's not even an accurate version of Billy the Kid, really. No. So, <laughs> um, it's not Deadwood. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they show they show prostitution. Mm. They 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 get their heads slammed through the walls. Totally Roadrunner, yeah. you know, uh, sort of style, right? Uh, and and of course, then you think like, well, if the first one was thrown down the bar, uh, where was the other one? Where did the other one slide down to get his yeah. head rammed through next to him? But they're looking into a whorehouse. Yeah, that's not a Deadwood whorehouse. Yeah. That's just a that's a. I, I I love the line when they show up there when. Uh, it says, "Oh, dude, this is just like Frontierland, yeah. and it is yeah. Frontierland for all intents and purposes." Yeah, the cute whorehouse. It is, it's, it's, it's more sort of like the littlest whorehouse in Texas than you know, than like you said, than Deadwood or Tombstone or something like that. <laughs> um, and I, I do like that though. That it is, it, it, you know, that, I mean, one of the things I find interesting about this film is um, whoever was doing the set decoration and and the, and the costuming, like. It's weird that they've gone right. Well, the costuming is really important because we are going to be having um, ridiculous farcical versions of these characters, but we don't want them to look cheap and ridiculous. So, yeah. like the costume on Napoleon, like is pretty accurate. Like you know, it, it sort of it looks right. The materials, so even his underwear, like he doesn't go to uh, when he goes to Waterloo, the theme park. Like he doesn't all of a sudden turn up in a pair of Bermuda shorts. Like no, no, he's still wearing. You know what he would have probably worn in in the early eighteen hundreds, late seventeen hundreds, 
and the same with like with Beethoven and Lincoln and Billy the Kid. Like, all, you know, the, the costuming in this is they've said that they wanted it to look like the look accurate. Like, yeah, we're going to take the mick out of these characters. They're going to be ridiculous, but they've got still got to look the part as much as they can do. And that sort of helps, really. Yeah. If they looked cheap and ridiculous and sort of like, you know, far, if they looked silly and didn't look like um, legit, I don't think it would work as well. Yeah, I've never thought about that. But of course, you're completely right. Um, you know, I mean, and there is this kind of way in which it, it, it's such a sort of, you know, manipulant farce where it's just like hard to pin down. It's so serious about itself in, you know, the costuming and, and getting it right. It'd be so easy to just say, what the hell are we doing here, guys? You know, <laughs> what is this movie about? Do you I mean, do you really care whether, you know, we we get the the sort of, you know, Long John's right on Napoleon? Mm. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I think like uh, Billy the Kid is a little too clean, yeah. you know, but but you're you're quite right. I mean, they're not that Western town looks like a Western mm. town. I mean, at least a Hollywood version of a Western yeah. town. Yeah, but it's not sort of, um, you know, um, who is it that, that uh, Roy Rogers, you know, it's not sort of like, mm. you know, it's not sparkly shirts and playing guitars. It's, this is closer to, we put just off screen, we were, just before we recorded, we were talking about Back to the Future 3, that same thing of acknowledging and taking the mickey out of those sort of like, um, 40s and 50s at Western tropes that sort of went look and then God went away of the tassels and the you know things like no, there's none mm. of that like they, they aren't playing into that they are playing it really sort of like it looks like a, like, say, a relatively di- Billy the kid comes across quite clean but the rest of the town looks quite dirty like mm. the the time machine lands between two outhouses and and stuff like that like it's <laughs> you know it's uh, well and that's a bit of a joke yeah. right and then you have the trope of like the bar fight mm. but uh but you know, I mean, it's fun and it works. And but it, yeah, you're right. It's never occurred to me like if if it were cheaper, mm. you know, if they didn't care about that stuff, uh, that it. You're right. Of course, it wouldn't it wouldn't work as well. And I don't know how they figured this out. I don't know how. I'm always just amazed. Why does this work? Yeah. <laughs> and and I think you pointed to some stuff. I mean, certainly the innocence. Yeah, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's one of those things that. It's 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 a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts, because mm-hmm. if you do look at things in isolation, you sort of go, well, that works and that works, but like I'm not sure like how it all works. Then you put it all together and you go, oh, actually, yeah, it completely works. Like it just fits. Um, I mean, yeah, even at one point they get stuck in history and they go to like you know one million BC. and it's, yeah. it says on it one million BC. Now there must have been a temptation at some point. Have a Raquel Welch looking Raquel Welch, you know, looking woman run past, but they don't do that, like they don't pander into that. But there's still that little nod of they go to 1 million BC and they break the uh, um, the 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 antenna on the on the time machine break. Well, they fix it with cans and and gum and they pass out gum to to get them, like you know, it's really important that everybody do their part and shoot because we need a lot of gum. How much gum do you have on you? I, I, I don't, it's so bizarre, but that's another sort of like, man, you gotta commit to that gag. Yeah. Uh, but there's no laugh track, right? I mean, there's this weird way in which it's filled with these kinds of gags, and you know 
from these scenes. Like a lot of maybe there was a Raquel Welsh mm. joke, but you know that a lot of this stuff has been cut. There you do have that feeling. Um, but yeah, I mean, you gotta really commit to some of these gags to to even try that. Yeah, well, even even the fact that like, and again, it didn't really dawn on me until the last probably like you know five ten years in this film. I'll tell you when it dawned on me was when Doctor Who came back, uh-huh. and I was like, wait a minute, he travels in a police phone box, and Bill and Ted uh-huh. travel in a phone booth, and and yeah. I was like. I, I thought about that yeah. too, and and I, I and I hadn't seen any Doctor mm. Who. Uh, maybe I had seen something, you know, like late night. I don't know. I might have seen some already, but I never made that connection as a kid. And I saw this. If I saw Doctor Who, it was the late night, you know, random episodes. But you know, not only that, but I mean, it's like it, it, this is almost a farce. Okay, this is almost a farcical Doctor Who episode. Mm they make a point of like everybody sticking out of the phone booth as it travels through time, which the revived doctor who has these like time tunnel doctor who traveling scenes that looked a lot more like Bill and Ted than Bill and Ted ever looked like doctor who. And then, you know, so they have people sticking out of the box and they have these comments about it full, but then at the end, it's totally clear. This is a TARDIS, you know, they all pile into it on stage. You've got like 12 people in this. It is clear that, you know, this was a TARDIS in a previous draft or something. Um, and then the other thing that I noted is that whole sequence, which I think is was way ahead of its time, of sort of like, Dad lost his keys two days ago. Well, we stole it. We're going to put it behind the, the you know bush. And then there's a tape recorder under a timer to distract the dad. There's a note to themselves saying, duck. Uh, and then the trash can drops on his head. Uh, you know, all of that is totally you know the doctor who's short you know, the curse of the fatal death mm. which is you know moffat's big you know uh comedic with you know rowan atkinson you know it, it's still one of my favorite doctor who things ever produced even though it's not out of and not in continuity and that does it as a gag mm. too but that was after this yeah uh you know the bill and ted is and and now moffat of course has we've done that stuff in the revived doctor who it's amazing how like much of this steals from Doctor Who and how much Doctor Who stole from Bill and Ted. But, but again, we, you know, the fact that, like you say, before you even know that any of that's coming up, it's set up in one of the first scenes. Because uh, mm-hmm. Ted's dad comes in and is like, Ted, have you seen my keys? And I was like, you know, I, I, I'm sure I had them around the house. Someone must have taken them. And Ted's like, nope, not seeing them, wasn't me. And so... And this comes to that thing we've said about a deterministic future. All right, well, that means that by the start of this film, all of this has already happened. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, so, and I love that, that when you get to the film, like, Ted has that realisation. He's like, oh, no, I did steal my dad's keys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like when he returns them. He, he sets them yes. on the, uh, the, the uh, prison bars and he says, you know, we found your keys. And I think, no, uh, I discovered I will steal your yeah, keys. Yeah. Is the right way to phrase it. Yeah, um, but it is that whole sort of jailbreak scene is really good. And again, um, you know, you see ahead of its time. But again, it, it comes back to timing. Like comedy and stuff is is down to timing. Uh, and in in a movie, like it comes down to um, good good a- a- actors with good timing, but also well done editing. Because editing can throw it all out of a window, like can turn the timing off massively. And I don't know how much the director was involved. I'm, you know, I assume quite heavily in the editing, but 
some of the editing in this and the cuts and stuff is just so well timed um, that you get just enough of like a pause or there's just enough of you know a post joke moment for, for it to land and then to move on that like you know it's yes. it's just they get how comedy sort of seems to work in a lot of these situations and they never hang on anything too long it's never like hey hey get it get it hey hey get it it's just a sort of like <laughs> it's just that thing of like the ratio of like go 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 some of them don't always land but like the hit rate is pretty yeah. high um yeah, and and there are sequences, you know, you mentioned why, you know, Joan of Arc. Why is she an aerobic yeah. instructor? But, but she, you know, that actress has committed yeah. to it, and you know, it, it's still kind of like amazing to see her going crazy there. And there are gags that, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, the the ice cream bit with Napoleon doesn't work as well. But you know, there are gags that don't work as well. But like you say, it's just so fast paced. Mm-hmm. It's just on. I love that even the. You know, like the the I fallen out of the armor, uh, where uh, Bill has watched Ted be murdered. You have watched Ted die, mm. and then he so you know you have one scene where he avoids somebody coming down a hall. He goes downstairs. You have like a morning scene, not belabored. Yeah. It would be so easy to just milk a little emotion out of that, make that go on for another fifteen thirty seconds. It's not belabored. Then you get into a fight. Ted shows up and says, I fell out of my suit. And at that point, you know, you know, this is a farce yeah. if you, if you haven't figured it out, you know, it's just like, Oh, just roll with it. Right. That, that's, it's like the ending of Hudson Hawk, right? Yes. Like, you know, Oh, uh, you know, no, I, I serve, would you believe this? Well, who cares? It, it, we've let you know this ahead of time, but I was amazed by how they did not draw that out, mm. you know? And it's, as you say, it's just like, if you don't like this little bit right here, don't worry. This will be a different movie in 30 seconds. Yeah, and uh, that's why like, it's just the pacing of it. I say it's, it's just under 90, it's literally just under 90 minutes, I think. And the pacing of this, the hit rate is so fast. Like, you don't get a chance to sort of, and I think that's another thing is you never, because they never, like, say, labor on a point. You don't get to either. So even if you don't, oh, like, even if you don't like something, it's a bit like, all right, well, move on, because the next bit's funny, you know. All right, you don't like you don't like the um, you know the whole thing at Ziggy Piggy. All right, well, fine. We're gonna but we we're, we're gonna jump back to a whole point with Billy the Kid, or we're gonna go jump and do this. We're gonna yeah. do that. Sort of, it just keeps going, um, and I think that's why it, one of the other things as well. Like if it was even ten to fifteen minutes longer, and they mm-hmm, the first mm-hmm. one, like it would it would probably be sort of you'd start to be thinking like okay, it's some of the scenes are. Um, you know, taking too long and they're hanging around longer than they should do and that sort of stuff. But it's not. It's just sort of like bang, 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 bang. And it's sort of... Um... Right. Well, then you, you know, part of the problem... I mean, I think you're right. I think this is such an important lesson in film, especially. Um, you know, if you have 30 minutes to a minute where you're just not into what's happening, uh, you are able to ask those questions. Like, wait a minute is this really a deterministic universe or not? Right. Or, or how did Napoleon get to the Waterloo park? Why is it named Waterloo? Like, I get that's a joke, but I mean, all of these things you can kind of nitpick and, and, you know, sort of take apart, but as long as it's fast and you're having a good time and it knows it's a farce and it, and it's working at that high rate hit rate, you don't care. And I don't care either. I mean, we're nitpicky smart guys and we don't care if it's working. Yeah, that's it. If you're enjoying it, then you don't stop to you know to question it. And that's you're right because 
if I wasn't enjoying it, I would be stopping. I, mean, I watched it more in this on this round to be a bit more like take things in, have a think about them. But for the most part, like it's a film I can put on and enjoy. And if anything, I've watched it enough now that I can go out, make a cup of coffee, and come back, and I've missed like five minutes <laughs> done. Eh, I can carry on. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I miss that. And I think I think this is something that sort of like the eighties. From about I don't know from about eighty five to like early nineties, let's say eighty five to ninety five, really, they just managed to hit this thing of like, here's a ninety minute movie, <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna go past like an absolute breeze. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Some of it's not gonna make sense, or it's gonna be some of the, you know this <laughs> may not work. And they just managed it. I mean, I can think of like you know this. Um, it, they may be slightly longer, but like. Um, there's just all these films that, like, even like I said, we talked about, I've talked about like uh, Commando sort of again before we walked on. Like, that film's not, is about 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, action films, comedy films, <clears throat> all these adventure films. Like, um, they're just now you're looking for films under two hours. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, and so many are over three now. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to look at some here. So, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, you know, one hour 45 minutes it's it's, and it's that. yeah and that's a that's a kind of dramedy too you know i mean it's yeah. it's, it's got a bunch of action and that's it so you you know i'm, I'm thinking of others and sort of like um the, the 80s managed to do that because i think they realized that brevity is is probably part of the key you know if you draw in this mm-hmm. out then and there were films don't get me wrong there were long films i mean you know that <laughs> God, you know, yeah. I've I have sat through the Godfather, Godfather Part Two, and other films, but they they should have been long films. Or the Deer Hunter, yeah. you know. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that that deserves to be long. Uh, but what? I mean, I you know, Dark Knight is is long, but it's like packing you know twice as much movie into that you know three hour runtime or you know two forty five or whatever it is, but. You know, remember, you know, like they used to make hour long movies, you know, what, like King Kong. What is King Kong? Like 60 minutes? Uh, just over. I think it's 70 minutes. 70, 70. Yeah, something like that. 70. Yeah. It's not long. Um, well, we watched Godzilla. Yeah. And that wasn't, that's, that's not, no, that's about 80 minutes. And I'm just trying to find out. So, Face the Music um, is one hour 31. So they've kept that thing. Like mm-hmm. Bill and Ted's, you know, the new one is, is one hour 31 minutes. Yeah. However, like you say, for some reason, action films have become just insanely bloated, ridiculous affairs that like are lasting, like I said, two and a half hours. And it's sort of like, what? and that unfortunately leads you to the point of, I'll give you a really good example, which is probably unfair as a comparison, but um, uh, Hobbs and Shaw, the, the, the Rock and Jason Statham, basically. Mm-hmm. A lot of that film's really good fun. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. bonehead fun. But it's it clocks in at like two hours twenty minutes, and like for the last twenty minutes, even I was like, and I'm a big rock fan, you know. I'm and Jason Statham, like, <laughs> this should be my bread and butter. But even that film, I'm like, oh, I'm uh, I'm I'm wearing thin on this now. <laughs> like, can we wrap this up, please? Like this is going on, and it's almost like um, not quite pornographic, but it's almost like self-indulgent and ego-driven now, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, oh, we've got to do this and this. But again, like you said, this film is a rule. It's almost like a, a, a lesson in cinema of like, 
No, no, short, punchy, funny, you know, be done and be gone. Uh, and, and that's where we should be looking, really. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the best um, pieces of advice I ever got as a writer was from a, a professor who is unfortunately dead now, Ian McKellen, who said, uh, you know, if it's a good novel at 200 pages, it's a great novel at 180. And if it's a great novel at 180, it is a fantastic novel at 160. It can be the same plot. You know, I mean, if you go through and you edit out 10% every time, now I, I have diarrhea of the mouth as a writer. <laughs> so, you know, but, um, but, you know, I think that's absolutely right. And, and as you say, so many of these movies that are long, I kind of feel like, it's like if we had a sequel or we had a series, we, you know, we go through every permutation, right? Like there's a point at which, you know, so-and-so is going to acquire the, the amulet that gives them the power, mm -hmm. right? You know, that's going to happen in some sequel or that's like a little bit somewhere down the line. We're going to go through every permutation of this story within this runtime. Uh, whereas the older philosophy and certainly the philosophy of Bill and Ted is like, get in, hit your gags, get out. You know, even if it's an action movie, get in, you know, establish, you know, establish the characters, you know, you're going to have some, some character scenes, whatever, but you know, we don't need to have four twists. This is not war and peace. We don't need an epic of every twist that happens to them. Get in, tell a good movie, get out. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the irony that our, our podcasts are often around two hours, <laughs> is is it lost on me if we discuss this? <laughs> but, but it's true. I mean, well, you know, the, 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 the comedy is best when it's punchy. Um, and mm -hmm. the longer something sticks around, which is why sort of sitcoms, well, yeah, when we did Red Dwarf, you know, they could come in, you do a 22 minute episode or a 25 minute episode, you tell your gags, you know, you run that, you, you run the idea, and then you're done. And, you know, that's it. And, you know, luckily that seemed to work okay with with the promised land, but even that was only like an hour. That was an hour and a half. But mm -hmm. this, you know, if you start to drag these things out, like it just the the you know the joke gets lost in in the tedium. I think. Well, think about you know the the invention of the sort of like uh, 11, 12 minute runtime, right? Mm. You know, popularized by like Adult Swim and shows like that, right? Um, I mean you know, Transformer Cyberverse is like that. You know, you get in, you tell this wacky, you know, story. Yeah, you can nitpick it to death. It's got a whole bunch of holes in it. But at the end of the day, it's 10 minutes. Mm. You know, if you don't like it, were you really suffering that much for 10 minutes? Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm like, yeah, I th I'm not sure I love this new character. Well, 10 minutes, get out, you know, on to the next kind of kind of cool idea. Would Rick and Morty, I mean, Rick and Morty has A plot, B plot, which, you know, I, I, I kind of hate that structure usually, but even with an A plot, B plot, it clocks in at 22 minutes. Mm. Can you imagine Rick and Morty working for 45? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, again, comedy, comedy especially needs to be punchy and, and, you know, I think that even more than punchy because of that farcical nature, you said you can leave the room and come back and, just jump right in. Um, and it's just charming and wonderful. 
And, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? Like I say, it it remains charming because of um of that thing because you don't have to think about it and like say they don't get they're never going to get deep they're not sort of philosophizing characters really beyond you know we are we're nothing more than dust on the wind um (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's sort of um it's there just to sort of like you say it's it's there to deliver a message, have good fun and leave. You know, it never, it doesn't overstay its welcome. But I think more than anything as well, like you say, um, because it's not cynical in any way as well, because like, even a short film, if it's too cynical, whatever, like would start to grind on you, grate on you and that sort of thing. Or if a character was overly annoying. I mean, I think of... Um, Solaris. You know, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of examples of characters where they've gone that character worked in a short in you know works in a small compressed mm. thing all of a sudden gets their own spin-off or gets elevated to a main character in a follow-up or something all of a sudden you're like oh they don't work as a main character um you know but they yet they worked as a um a smaller sidekick or yeah the, the, you know, there, yeah. Are, there are examples of that and I, I can't think of any right now but like you know um but yeah, that... typically you don't expect those those characters that work in those small increments dotted in a larger narrative, you know, uh, for comic relief or, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we just got through the the dramatic bit. And now, you know, here's the 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 midget character or whatever, you know, don't give that guy a movie on his own. That character does not need to not because he's a midget, but because he's a comic relief or, or a sidekick or whatever. Yeah, um, and, and you know, it, and that's the thing. In in this film, I think it's that same thing of like, okay, Bill and Ted are the center of this film, but we understand that if they were to, if they were slightly more bumbling or if they were cynical in all this, then you wouldn't like them, and none of this would work. Right. Yeah. Then it's just these are these really are two douchebags, right? You know, yeah. not just dumb douchebags, but just kind of like. Um, although, you know, I just said, you know, I should say little person, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I should point out, it does occur to me, they're all white in this movie, except for their teacher and a few people in that, that audience, which by the way, yeah, you had to give presentations, but you know, I don't know what history class has like an, uh, an auditorium filled, you know, that's just not a typical part of American school life. I was, um... I was that that was what sort of confused me as a kid because I remember watching this and thinking like oh, you I wouldn't be comfortable making presentations to my my homework to you know the rest not just my class but the rest of the year sort of like everybody else in my year sort of um I, I read recently I was sort of looking into some of this stuff and originally there was a, a different ending and apparently mm. part it was partly filmed where it wasn't a big auditorium, it was just a class. Um, it was just a classroom, and it wasn't working because it, it was too small, because they were just leading the characters in, and it just right. wasn't working. So the auditorium felt like a much, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger payoff, it's a grander payoff, and it works. Um, yeah. But yeah. Especially with all those, like, 12 characters or something, you know. I mean, it, it would seem so small having, you know, 12 old guys standing at the front of the classroom, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So it it does it it does work, and you know I'm glad to report that like you know that isn't ex- that isn't the expectation of American the American education system is that you have to pick, <laughs> um, you know. And again, though, I kind of like as well that they they do give you a bit of a, a hint. Like it's not just um, Bill and Ted. Like there's others doing it, and um, the, the others that are doing it have got varying, you know, c- cases for success. I like the jock who basically clearly hasn't done very well, and sort of like you know, Santimus rules. Uh, yeah, end it all and gets the crowd roaring. Um, I also, I also, there's the girl who sort of talks mm. about uh, Marie Antoinette and says about, you know, well, she in them days she said about let them eat cake. Um, you know, now she'd probably say let them eat fast food. And it stopped me again, again, I'd never thought about it before. And I was, it made, stopped me and made me think this time. I was like, I think she's misunderstood the whole Marie Antoinette let them eat cake scenario. But, um, it, it, again, I like the fact you get a glimpse of others doing doing their bit. Yeah, I, I wanted to to mention that Marie Antoinette presentation too, um, because you know I I think it, it's sort of typical of the movie as a whole, uh, in a sense for me. Like, obviously, America right now is not the America of of nineteen eighty eight eighty nine, um, and now I mean certainly when I saw this movie as a kid, I did not have any sort of class consciousness. I, 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 I did not, I had some, but I mean, I, I did, was not aware of like the wealth gap. Um, you know, I wasn't aware of what a problem it was of some people having no opportunity whatsoever and others, you know, being born on third base. Yeah. And, you know, that's essentially what she's talking about. Mm. And, and then she's talking about food, you know, fast food and TV as sort of like distractions for the masses, like right? Like now we have TV. Well, damned if that isn't true. I mean, she says like, oh, it's like today how a lot of Americans don't have anything except a television. And I thought, right, that's the bread and circuses, you know? Uh, and it is amazing how, uh, you know, you can be dirt poor, but you have a sound system in your car um, you know, that can play stuff and you've got a television and you have, uh, you know, streaming service, you know, not everybody, obviously, mm. but most people have these things and it is really easy to, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I come home and want to kill myself every day. I hate my boss. <laughs> uh, society hasn't given me any chance to get ahead. I gotta, you know, go uh, $5,000 a year into debt on my credit cards just to stay afloat mm. and pay my medical bills or, you know, raise a kid. Uh, but, you know, I do again Netflix, yeah. you know, like endless entertainment. Uh, so I thought, like, you know, the thing about her presentation is I love that that little bit is in there, mm. right? There's like a little bit of, you know, observations, but it's such a delicious blend of like, dumb and smart at the same time right like it's it's a dumb high realistically dumb high school presentation Mm. but with a couple you know like it's not a dumb girl right like it's not a dumb set of observations it's just she's 18 uh and i i think and i think that the movie kind of has a similar line like you know it's it's fun it hits its marks it has a, a few fun observations but it's not pretending to be, you know, a manifest. No, and I think that's the thing as well. Like you say, it, 
and that's a really good point. Like you say, it's not trying to be a manifesto because it, it again, like you know, it doesn't want to or doesn't have to explain its positive message. You know, it comes down to we'll just be excellent to each other. There's nothing mm-hmm. there about you know, okay, well we're going to try and address uh, social unrest and, and class, you know, class division and. Uh, you know, racial diversity across nations and all sorts of stuff. Like that. Just, <laughs> just, just be cool to each other. Like, just be a good person, um, and you know, it'll work out from there. And and it's sort of like it, that's it. And like I say, it's not trying to sort of. And this isn't to be um, against, like you say, you know, social justice warriors or anything like that. Like you say, it's not. But it's that thing of like you know the, again. This could be, um, if it was to be, you know, luckily it's been the same creators, but if this was to be rebooted or remade, remade today, there would be that need uh-huh. and that desire to really not, you know, that, that message of just be excellent to each other would have to expand. You know, it's sort of like, it'd be like inclusion and diversity and da 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 It's like, look, that's not what this film is. It's not trying to address and raise awareness of all the ills in the world like it's a movie it's having fun it just saying just be excellent to each other like that's that's the core of it all like all this other stuff still comes back to this one thing of be a decent human being and um you know i, I think i like the fact that it's, it's they're trying to keep to that simple message yeah i mean i love that message too i think today the reaction would probably be like yeah, you know, that's a pretty white privileged attitude, mm. right? Um, you know, people have deconstructed sort of, you know, Star Trek's sort of similar messages, uh, you know, and certainly, I mean, they are not poor, right? I mean, they're in San Dimas, California. Basically, everyone is white. And we're supposed to believe that, like, be excellent to each other is going to create this, you know, utopia, which presumably is going to solve racial inequality and you know you you, they don't make a point about it but presumably you know i mean you see this uh i think the head of the future is black um and they don't make a big deal about it that's great but yeah be excellent to each other you know you can tell a cop to be excellent to people and he'll still disproportionately shoot you know black kids um you know so i i think today we're more aware of that but that doesn't mean it's not a good message. And I, I certainly would have no objection. You know, I mean, you and I are not going to object to somebody who comes along and says like, you know, hey, I happen to be black or I happen to feel these things about this movie. It does not speak to me. I can't get past some of these things. Hey, live and let live, mm. right? But I do think that while not imagining that be excellent to each other, really, so it, it is necessary, but not sufficient, mm. right? it's a farce that that is going to create a wonderful world, right? It's like, you know, Jesus said, love everybody. And then people said, yeah, got that. Let's go have a war with these guys. Uh, And nobody's going to be like the excellent to each other. No, you know what? You're right. Why didn't I think of that? But it's a farce. And that's still, as you say, really a beautiful message. And, you know, while, this is not a movie about interrogating complex yeah. socioeconomic uh, or racial problems, but it's still a beautiful mess. Well, I think it's the, it's the fact that, like with everything else in this film, it gets boiled down 
to a simple, you know, get in, get out, you know, get in, give your message, get out, like, you know, be excellent to one another, party on sort of thing, like, you know. <laughs> um, but again, like, you know, if you look at the future to, to, to consider that, you know, Rufus doesn't ex- doesn't explicitly state it when he gives his overview of the future. But he says, like, no, no, our society is now based on the musical teachings of, of Bill and Ted. And they're saying that basically, like, be excellent to each other, that sort of thing. So, okay, so are we now in a post-religious world 700 years in the future where we've moved on from believing in, uh, you know, different uh, deities and different religious beliefs to everybody's now unified under this one sort of, like, weirdly under this one band but you know and they haven't been they, what's weird is they have they've maybe let's say they've been um that's, that's almost a christian they've almost been given as a, as a a sainthood but they're not they're not they haven't become deities people know that they are people from history mm-hmm. they haven't been given some um you know they haven't really been elevated other than to say yeah they were great musicians at, at some point um and so, yeah, that you know, you could look at that future and sort of see, you don't see a great deal of it, but, you know, have they then, you know, in order for it to make, be great, they've taken out all the way, all the other obstacles have gone, that they've, they've, they've just gone down to a single philosophy rather than multiple that people can then argue over. Right, which again, like if you focus on too much, I mean, that is obviously, you know, a fascist sort of state, right? <laughs> I mean, all utopias, if you actually depict them, are horrifying yeah. because nothing can ever change, right? Like, you know, no, we, we've gotten over, we're unified. Like, well, you know, unity about freedom and, and diversity and tolerating other cultures and, and whatever is, is fine. But, you know, unity of we're all you like, I, I just... You know, I always think like if I'm in that future, I'd be like, yeah, screw this music. Yeah. You know, I don't like that. That's not my genre. Um, and obviously there'd be very little place for that. But I do think that I do think that because they don't dwell on it, that future is oddly moving. Mm. And I think there are two. I mean, I think that's the first moment where I'm really just moved watching this when they accidentally go to the future because the machine's malfunctioning. And, you know, they do the strumming of the hands and there's this sort of like Peter Gabriel-esque music mm. that's very different from the other music. And it is so oddly moving, uh, not just this be excellent to each other, but the sense of these two uh, guys making it up as they go along, right? Who, who bra- you know, certainly they're brave or, or too dumb <laughs> to be scared of all this, you know, going into a medieval castle. Um But, you know, the sense of which I certainly felt as a child and I still feel, uh, although now it's bittersweet, um, the sense of we will win, Mm. you know, this generation, you know, we will win, uh, you know, over these forces of the establishment and these dumb teachers. And, you know, uh, although I had a lot of teachers as, as friends, but I feel that same thing at the end. There's this sense of, you know, in that big presentation the sense of just, it's so triumphant, mm. you know, it's like we have faced these obstacles and now the lights dim and, you, you know, you just feel the sense of like, yeah, we, we suffer hardships, uh, you know, or difficulties. We we're struggling with Missy or our families of origin or whatever it is, but that sense of, yeah, it's all going to be okay. And some sort of vision that is in tune with, this younger generation is going to win out. 
that certainly I, I believe that. Mm. And uh, now I live in a dystopia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long, hopefully. You know, we've only got... <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, it, it is. But it is moving. It's, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, everyone filters in, and they all sort of like you know they're they're impressed by by Bill and Ted, and it is quite. I see what you mean by moving because it's it's it, you know it's that sort of um, it's almost like for the people of the future to be starstruck, isn't it? Like they are meeting their Messiah, that they're their sort of um, you know those that are, that are the basis for their society. It's sort of it would it be almost like a Christian meeting Jesus. Yeah, you know, oh man, I got to meet Bill and Ted. You know, sort of. Um, well, I love, I love the their sort of nervousness as uh, you know, uh, Ted says like, uh, "Dude, I think they want us to say something," yeah. you know, and they just say, "Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes." But um, you know, I'm struck watching that of sort of how much anxiety we have, and certainly I felt this as a kid, like you know we so often we want to succeed we want to accomplish stuff and here they know you know i mean they feel that too but they also know like hey it's gonna be okay man you will win right the future is gonna look a lot better than the past and you cannot make a mistake literally Mm. anything you say is gonna be fine chill out and you'll probably say better things anyway because you're chillaxed than you know nervously strung out and I do, and I do kind of love those messages. Yeah, it's you know, maybe then, maybe then we do need a Bill and Ted kind of like you know, maybe it's time to face the music. Because um, again, like this would be what they've been like Gen X, when they're the sort of the, the tail end of Gen X, then really uh, before mm-hmm. they're sort of the millennials and sort of that. That um, I think they're early Gen X. I think I'm tail end Gen X. Okay, yeah, because they'd have been. What they so they were they're in their sort of mid to late teens in in eighty eight so um yeah so you know they're Gen X so they've got this sort of positive sort of future and stuff and it's um it's interesting now to see how you know I don't know what that generation is those those guys now what you call them in the sort of um, early teens and early twenties now sort of, you know, that are doing the same thing. It's sort of facing up to to that next level, isn't it? Of saying like, you know, yeah, it's, you know, we don't know what the future can hold other than, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, it's going to not be excellent. It's going to be horrendous and we've got to do something about it. Um, and, you know, that, that you said that anxiety that, that sort of, you know, pervades everything now is like, right. Well, all politicians are corrupt, so the governments of the world are all going to break us down. But we're all, but don't worry about that, because we're all sort of trapped in the corporate world anyway. So all our, all of our sort of personal information is being traded, and and we are nothing more than a human commodity for these large corporations that are actually just burning their way through fossil fuels, destroying our atmosphere. So, yeah, you know, it's basically just sort of like we are leaning into our own destruction every day. Um, but now we are going to sort of do something about that. Um, and as you said before, it's sort of the, the be excellent to each other is is nice, but not enough. Um, mm-hmm. And this film's not supposed to be, like you say, isn't isn't supposed to be philosophical on, <laughs> on world politics or climate change. But um, 
You mean I, I can't base my religion on Bill and Ted? <laughs> I thought that was the whole point. We haven't heard the song yet. I don't know. <laughs> and they didn't do it. <laughs> if uh, if Bono and in uh, and um, you know that bunch couldn't do it, I'm not sure Bill and Ted could. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of like it's a nice, it's a nice, it's well intentioned. It's a, it's a, it's a kids' film. Um, it's a fun romp, but um, you know, it's fun to go back to. But I wonder if you were to show this film to kids of our age and we saw it if they would look at it and be like oh yeah you say white privilege oh it's all right for them you know sort of thing um like what the hell is this movie about yeah Yeah. uh well i mean it's interesting you talking about that because you know it seems to me like it's such a generational movie mm -hmm. uh i mean this was a touchstone and this was not supposed to be a big hit i mean they kept it on the shelf and then it was a cultural milestone. Everybody saw that. It's why you mentioned, you know, Wayne's World. Mm. It's why they go, you know, party on, you know, party on, Wayne. It's because of this movie. That slang was dead when this movie came out. Mm. And it revitalized it and changed American slang. But, you know, I think about, like, maybe every generation is disappointed. Mm. Um, you know, and now that I'm uh, a weary old man of 82, <laughs> um, I can sort of have this perspective that sort of, you know, I felt like the 60s generation had sort of had its turn. The baby boomers had sort of had their turn and they were basically, you know, my parents' generation um, and they sort of had their t- turn and they failed. Mm. You know, my parents were hippies, you know. Well, that didn't work out so well. You know, that little love and love and peace, you know, didn't work out so well. And, you know, we had, you know, Reagan and, and Michael J. Fox was, you know, the embodiment of the 80s. And we had a kind of like, um, you know, we were more cynical in the sense that uh, you and I grew up, you know, in, in an era that was much more okay with capitalism to a certain degree and and commodification to a certain degree, but not to the degree today. But I certainly saw this as a generational film. I certainly saw this. It certainly spoke to me as a kid of sort of, I don't know what our manifesto is. I don't know what we want to say. And I don't think Gen X still knows Mm. what it wants to say. We never had a, you know, a hippie counterculture in that sense. We had Nirvana, you know, we had anger, but we never had a manifesto. And, and I think that's interesting that this movie embodied that we had so much certainty. I mean, we had absolute certainty that, you know, the, the Reaganites, the, you know, the older generation that seemed so stayed, the bad education I was getting at school, some wonderful teachers, but I mean, you go to school for eight hours a day and you basically get an hour and a half of decent education in mm. there, and the rest is, you know, daycare. And now it's even worse. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if you gave this to you know a ten year old, but what they would make of it? I don't know. They think it was hopelessly naive, Dad. Yeah, they probably would. As you said about history, dumb, <laughs> you know, and sort of like I'm pretty sure there are twelve year olds now that are way more informed and way more intelligent than ever I was ever at, at twelve. Um, and you mentioned then about sort of the hippies, you know, the hippies became the yuppies, you know, it didn't work out. So, um, 
you know, we sort of we ended up, you know, we we that's it. The, the free love didn't didn't work, so I ended up sort of you know saving money and going to Wall Street instead. Um, <laughs> but it's the same sort of. I like say, you know, you say about the, the manifesto of this era. It's interesting because you have the hippies have their counterculture that manifesto of free love and experimentation, and you know, even that, even the after that, like the next generation or the next decade, you get punk coming in, sort of like seventy seven and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I can't stand punk music. It's not my thing. Like, you know, it's but it had that thing of like again, it was a, it was an angry face up to the government and anarchy, and it had a manifesto. And then like the decade, the, the late eighties brings us the rave culture and stuff, and it had nothing. It was just sort of like now nah, I'm going to get off my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to listen to some banging tunes, and I'm going to get off my face on drugs. And you're just like, why? What's your what statement are you trying to make? Nothing. Because nothing's worth doing with them. I'm just going to enjoy the music and in the moment. And you go, oh, yeah, all right. I, I can't argue with that. And you're going to, you know, that's the thing. It's going to, um, and I, I think that's it. It was almost like a, a, a counterculture movement that was like, I'm not going to be counterculture. I'm just going to just, you know. Um, and you can see it in the films of that time, or even later films that depict that time 24 hour party people. Um, Train, mm-hmm. right, right, train spotting, right. like you know, train spotting tried to give it a message, you know, sort of choose life, choose a th- like, you know, but it was still about basically drug culture, um, rather than having mm-hmm. a real message. So, yeah, sort of Wolf of Wall Street, Party Monster, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny that you know, like the 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 basic premise of this movie that like you could make a song so genius that like it just convinces everyone to put the guns down and love each other is such a like idea from a generation earlier yeah. right um but i mean i i i loved and and, and still love punk music a, a huge fan of post-punk and you know to me listening to you know Sid Vicious say god save the queen it meant yeah this whole structure is going to come down mm. you know screw that we don't need a monarchy. Britain, you know, doesn't need it. Screw Thatcher, screw Reagan, screw everybody, you know, the, the Christian right and, you know, the way they practice Christianity. All of that's going to topple. And, you know, the, the future of Bill and Ted meant, you know, those ideas of my generation, you know, that was going to win. And we didn't know what was going to replace yeah. it, but that was going to win. And it's funny, you know, I mean, as you get older, one of the things I always tell younger people is your ideas will win, but you don't know when and you don't know in what order. So you will get gay marriage, but we have not, you know, obviously we haven't toppled these other things. I do think that, you know, in 20 years, you know, those things will not be as much of a political force just looking demographically. But, you know, you sort of have to age to the point where you are the majority Mm. Nobody's going to hand you power until you really are how are the ones with power. Mm. Um, so, but I still love the movie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even though I look back on it nostalgically and with a little bittersweet uh, feeling about this this idyllic future. But it does, and I think the thing is, you know, like I say, it's got a simple message. But also, like I say, one of the things of this this film, and um, when we sort of will think to wrap up on this point, is this film's teaching you to learn from history. You know, that's the point of this film is to say that like history is important. 
you know, mm-hmm. and these people in history, they were important people that have brought you things. Like, you know, these are two musicians that first, that might be, this is probably their first introduction to Beethoven. <laughs> you know, Beethoven. Yeah, Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in these other characters, like you know, Socrates, they've they've been introduced to philosophy, they've been introduced to sort of classical music, yeah. uh, you know, um, psychoanalysis, and all these other things. Um, you know, honourable politics, if that's a real term, it's a, you know, an oxymoron. Um, but it, it, this film is telling you to learn from history. Like I say, some maybe maybe it's simple messages. It hasn't aged as well in in this day, you know, in this current climate. But I do think this idea of going, look, stop, look to history and realise that there have been great people. There has been great progress. Things do get better because, let's be honest, sometimes the era is shit, <laughs> but sometimes it yeah. gets better. Uh, well, I think that's really I think that's really interesting that, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that as the sort of like thesis uh, or the message. I do, I do love, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the contrast between the, the opening in the classroom, um, the early scene where, you know, you, <laughs> you have them convincing, trying to convince the teacher that they shouldn't fail. And he says, <laughs> you know, you've taught me about great leaders, like Socratic method, (laughs) you know, and he says, you know, and he says, really, and what, what did, what did I teach you? What did they tell you? And he says, well, they live so that the world could be filled with his, it's like such a, such a dumb thing. But I do, I definitely think like by the end you feel like, Hey, whether you know anything about Socrates or any of these guys, maybe it's, you know, this doesn't apply to Genghis Khan and Napoleon, but you know, Socrates was cool. Mm. Uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln was cool. Uh, you know, these these guys are, you know, cool dude. Beethoven was cool. I mean, like, listen to some Beethoven. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's part of your cultural heritage, it's part of your history. Um, how can you not be aware of these things? Um <laughs> So I definitely, I definitely do like that. Well, again, like you say, you say, you know, uh, you know, you talk about the positives there, but Genghis Khan did conquer <laughs> a massive part of, of the Eastern world. And yeah, like you say, unfortunately, or well, not unfortunately, but yeah, this, his DNA is still tracking through an awful lot of people in, in parts of the world because of, you know, his uh, um, willingness to spread his seed, shall we say, whether, you know, whether wanted or not. He wasn't a great person, but he is still a massive, you know, um, part of history. Um, and the same for Napoleon, like you know, you know this this idea that this this person can come out of nothing, like literally, Napoleon in many ways is almost that is that sort of um, like I say the American dream. He comes out of nothing to rule an empire. Um, doesn't doesn't mean he was a great person or anything, and. You know, he, he comes to us well, by today's standards, right? I mean, nobody because nobody at the time said, you know, Genghis Khan, we, you know, we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I mean, this was just established, this was just normal mm. at the time. That doesn't mean it's okay, that doesn't mean we have to think it's okay. But you know, Napoleon, I mean, there's still French people who look back on Napoleon, and you're right. I mean, it was the American dream, right? I mean, he came from nothing, it was merit that he rose by much more than in the past which is, incidentally, I, the same thing I feel about Cromwell. 
you know, for all of his failings, he came up through the ranks. That wasn't something that was possible before when you had, you know, it was a generation earlier. You just say like, oh, well, the Earl of Sussex, he's not so bright, but he has to command the army. You know, like, what, what are you talking well, about? These are true. I mean, if you look at, if you look at, Napoleon, you know, you know, he does come to an end. He is defeated, and he has to go into exile. Fine, you know, the the, the good guys win in the end of it because he was invading mm-hmm. these other countries. But when you look at like who he was fought, he was fighting against. You know, he was representative of the people. Like he may have lost touch over time, but he, he like I say, he rose through merit. Wellington didn't particularly. You know, mm-hmm. Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington, didn't he? He sort of bought a lot of his commissions, and yes, he was a good general, but like some of that wasn't. Um, the Prince of uh, Prince of Orange, the Prince of, of Belgium, was a complete bloody disaster, uh, <laughs> leading his armies during during the Napoleonic Wars, and and often had to sort of um, be sidelined so that his generals would stop him from making decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so yeah. He, he may not have. He may, he's on the wrong side of history. Is I, I would say a better way of doing it. Like you know, I, I I couldn't speak to how he treated his people, or other things. But you know, is there a side of history that says actually he was? You know, he really liked knitting, and you know, he's actually. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that'll be in the next bill. Of yeah. uh, you know, the, the knitting years. Uh, well, I mean, even Joan of Arc, right? I mean, she, you know, I mean, there's, you know, you look at her accomplishments and you say, you know, why is this, you know, why is war this great accomplishment? And and especially in Europe, you know, internecine wars, you know, uh, what a detriment to uh, to all of Europe. Mm. Um, but men listen to her. Yeah. You know, I mean, you talk about a feminist icon, you know, she she. uh you know, no matter what she said about gender, which, you know, people wouldn't agree with today. Uh, nonetheless, you, can, you can't imagine at that time an entire army of men listening to her. So, I mean, you know, you know, history is fraught. History is difficult. For me, what I come back to, though, is, you know, it just works moment by moment as a film. Um, and there's so many times where so many great moments where I just think, uh, you know, this is just working fantastically, uh, where even just a line makes me, makes me laugh. Um, you know, I think one of the first ones is, you know, uh, Ted saying, Bill, strange things are afoot at the circle. K." <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I mean, which is not, I don't know why that's funny. It's just the absurdity of like, you know, a sort of seven 11 sort of environment and having, you know, it's just hanging a light on how utterly absurd all of this is, um, you know, and, and lines like, you know, excuse me, sir, do you know where there are any personages of historical significance around here? <laughs> <laughs> just wonderful lines and wonderful moments that just live with They me. do have, it is incredibly quotable in that way, because I do like the fact that when they are at Circle K, and they've asked some guy about uh, they've already, they've already got some information on forget what it is now, and then they ask some woman as she walks past, "When did the Mongols rule China?" Like, I don't know. I just work here. Well, this is another thing I thought about, like generations, right? Like if you gave this to a ten-year-old, they'd say, "Why is why don't they ask their cell phone?" Yeah, you know, the idea that you you know, like it it seems quasi reasonable to me, yeah. you know, having grown up in that time, that you might 
having been expelled from your house so your dad can have sex with, you know, uh, Missy, uh, that you might just hang out at the the 7-Eleven or, or the, you know, the Circle K and ask random strangers since you don't. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, that's the thing as well, isn't it? Like, say, does it work as in a... In a uh we've said this before about technology and stuff but um you know dating a film but i just i just i think the guys work you know again i said bring it back to that like uh alex winter and keanu reeves just work as a pairing in that same way we've talked of others like you know cheech and chong bill uh bill and ted wayne and garth jay and silent bob like though they are there as just that duo um you know it's almost like a trope in itself really but uh yeah, no, I, I would, I would definitely put them up there. So, yeah, I agree, and you know, and I, I was going to say that I love the ending. The ending is even more punchy than the beginning, you know. Uh, and I love that it acknowledges, uh, that, you know, he says nothing's different. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, so you know, like we're supposed to change the world. We won, you know, the history thing. But like, it's not like my dad loves me now, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, we still don't know how to play guitars. And I, I love this sort of maybe we should start learning how to play. <laughs> and then, you know, Rufus shows up and I love, you know, it's a silly thing. Rufus jams. Right. And and then, uh, you know, Rufus breaks the fourth wall right at the last moment, you know, and says, they do get better. Yeah. And, you know, you just got it's so good. And it's just punchy to the end. It acknowledges this sort of like problem with the denouement where you always think, well, things aren't really okay now, right? So it gives, you know, this wonderful little denouement scene that manages to acknowledge that yet be punchy and funny and clever and what a ride. Yeah, and that's it. And it's a romp. And that's the thing, like you say, if anything, things end up worse because they've now got a house to illegal immigrants. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they've got no ID, so that's that's an interesting one. Um, we've got some cages over here, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if English oh, they're, they're white, so you know, they're not, they're not, they're probably not as uh, in as endangered if they were somewhere from another part of Europe. Um, yes, this is sadly true, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know. I think we've covered pretty much everything, and uh, I have to say, I, I agree. I, I I really enjoy this film. I love, um, you know, I'm looking forward to face the music and sort of how they sort of try and round this out. But it just works as, as a sort of a, if this had never had a follow up or anything like that, like you know, it works. It's really good fun. Um, you know, you you can just buy into the like I say to the farcical comedy of it. And just enjoy the ride. It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? Like you, you in, you know, you accept the universe for what it is, and you enjoy the ride. And it takes you up and down, and round and round. And then you get up at the end, and you go, oh, "That was really good fun. That was. I think I'll jump on again that, that some other time." Um, it's it's a water park basically. It's just a water slide. <laughs> water slide is what it is. Yeah. So, what, what are your final thoughts on on, on uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure? Dude, I feel the same way, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just great fun, and I think that I, you know, I can't. I, I'm a fan of farces, mm. but I, you know, this is in that rare, you know, ninety plus percent of it works sort of category where 
so many movies done by you know ostensibly you know you know great writers smart people great artists uh don't work at this level mm. and you know i agree it's just minute by minute so much of it works it stands up uh it's still fun um i can't say enough good about it i think i think it's a it's a classic and i think that it's sort of perceived too much as like a kind of cult movie uh i think it is just you know a really good farce mm. and a really good sort of sci-fi farce and yeah, it had a cult following because it wasn't sort of recognized by, I mean, nobody working at the Atlantic was going to say, you must check out Bill and Ted. <laughs> I mean, but over time, it's achieved that sort of status. And I think it has merited it, much like Napoleon and Cromwell. No, I, I agree. I think it's, it, you know, it feels like an underdog that's sort of like, you know, it's, and I'm hoping, really, because it's one of those films that I think, like you say, is generational. I think there's a there's a generation of people, sort of probably over thirty, that know this film well, can you know can recite it, and you know um, you can say things like Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy, and they'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> Anyone younger than that, probably not. And I'm really hoping that Face the Music, sort of like people will go see it, and <clears throat> you know they're going to meet they're going to meet characters in that, like, you know, they're going to meet Missy and the, and Bill and Ted's dad and, um, you know, his younger brother. And, and in, even from the second film, they're going to meet death and station and all these other mm. odd, bizarre cre- cre- characters. <laughs> and they're going to go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Where do I? Get from? <laughs> and they're going to go back and hopefully they'll go back and they will watch, um, you know, excellent adventure and bogus journey. Uh, Cause I think they, they both really deserve, um, uh, to be to be seen, and um, you know, especially in the, in, a, in an era where you know there's been a, a, a Keanu sense, if you want to go with that, you know, <laughs> everyone knows him as John Wick. Um, well, yeah, I like the John Wick films, but he was, you know, he was uh, him and Alex went to Bill and Ted before, way mm. before that, and that's how I know him. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we sort of did this. It's you know, it's uh and not a, a good sort of touch point for me. It is for me too. And, you know, I'd rather have another Bill and Ted, whether it's great than, you know, I mean, I like John Wick fine, but, you know, I think these are more interesting movies. That's, you know, we said about in brevity, right? And it's, I think, again, that first film, it, the first John Wick film is, uh, it's relatively short, it's punchy, it plays mm-hmm. out well, doesn't overstay its welcome, leaves. They have got longer and longer since, and 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 they're all part of this ongoing epic now, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, it ends with a cliffhanger that nothing that happened in this movie is going to make sense really until you watch the next one, and uh, you know, so I, I guess we're three in, and four is going to come out. Whereas, you know, even you know, like Bogus Journey, you like more than I do. I feel like it it doesn't hit the, its marks. You know, it doesn't isn't minute for minute. Uh, you know, just punchy and it doesn't work at this rate, even though there's stuff that I love, right? I mean, you know, death is wonderful. I love <laughs> the Seven Seal stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we haven't even mentioned, you know, whether the, the animated show is in continuity. Mm, we may have to come back the to answer that. The answer is yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's say, you know, you know, there's been a comic series and all kinds of things. So it's, it has yeah. sort of had all that stuff. But, uh, yeah. Well, no. I hope I hope people check it out and 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 rethink it because this it, this is 
for as much it's great to have a sequel after 30 years but i think the movie still holds up and is underrated and 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 kind of still a lost gem compared to how often it's cited among especially sci-fi uh comedies throughout yeah. history this is right up there with with anything else uh, i agree it's just, it's just been released on 4k so that you know it's been it's the opportunity to see it in, in its best possible format now um Right, well, we'll sort of wrap up that. But next, we're going to go... Um, I was going to say we're going to go into outer space. We're not out of space. It's coming to us. Ah. Next, we, uh, In the next episode, uh, it's uh, an attack. It's going to be Mars Attacks, Tim Burton's Mars Attacks, uh, ba- based on a trading card. Um, <laughs> um game from i think the 50s and the 60s uh, you know generated some i think some comic books and things uh became a movie in the 90s that has i would say um split decision on on <laughs> um so we'll see how we get on with with mars attacks in the next episode it's another farce though it is and yeah i, I will i'm going to leave my opinions of it for now uh, <laughs> but we'll get into it because it's it is, it is an interesting one uh but for now julian thank you very much as always it's been a treat thank you brother yeah be excellent to each other that's it oh everyone out there that's it be excellent to each other it's quite hard to ask for that in this day and age so just just consider it when you're out and about um but yeah, be human to each other would yeah. uh be a wonderful thing if people did yeah just just be nice just you know for once uh but ladies and gentlemen thank you very much and we'll see you on the next episode there's something very important i forgot to tell you what don't cross the streams <laughs>